Welcome to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Scott of Denver Seminary. What are the challenges we face in today's church and culture in a postmodern, post-Christian era? Dr. Haley believes that in addressing those issues, the church must adopt a missional mindset. Christianity does hold the answers to the big questions of today's culture. Let's join Dr. Haley for today's edition of Christian Curious. COVID-19 pandemic has spurred a new sexual revolution. Custom male sex robot with the strongest of jawlines leaves married female fans swooning and from Israel. Sex surrogates helping patients treat anxiety and PTSD. Those are just a few of the headlines topping the news just this morning. This is Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Grace Scott and co-host Hannah Greaser, a show where we explore some of the most pressing ministry issues of the day. Today, we are continuing our series exploring the connections between the physical human body and spirituality. You know, Hannah, I was thinking about lessons from childhood when about sexuality growing up, and I think the biggest lesson for me as a Gen Xer whose parents were not super religious was nothing. <laughs> I mean, I could, I was like, you know, adjacent. I was Christian adjacent where I heard about the purity culture. I signed my little purity card or whatever. And, but it wasn't really, I mean, my parents didn't talk to me about sex. No one talked to me about sex. You know, how was it for you in Georgia? I was, yeah, I was thinking about that and same thing. I don't think I got too many lessons and it's not, I think my parents would have asked or answered questions if I had asked them. But the thought of that is just so embarrassing. (laughs) So really, I think my method when addressing sex was don't think about it. (laughs) Right. Well, there's actually, you know, I think that there is a huge problem. I mean, my husband has been a sex addictions counselor for 20 years. And so we know that sexuality is a problem in America today. And even back in the 1940s, C.S. Lewis wrote, You can get a large audience together for a striptease act, that is, to watch a girl undress on stage. Now suppose you came to a country where you could fill a theater by simply bringing a covered plate onto the stage and then slowly lifting the cover so as to let everyone see, just before the lights went out, that it contained a mutton chop or a bit of bacon. Would you not think that that country had something gone wrong with the appetite for food? Something is wrong in the way we think about sex. Hannah, you had something to say. I'm just, was C.S. Lewis saying, I guess referring our hunger for food the same way as our hunger for sex kind of thing? Or No, he was just making fun of us or pointing out the <laughs> fact, okay, there's something wrong if there's so, a girl on stage and everyone's, you know, clamoring over it. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So our guest today has worked with men struggling with sexual addiction issues for over uh, 20 years. Doug Barnes has more than 20 years experience with sexual addiction, marriage counseling, EMDR, PTSD, betrayal, trauma recovery, as well as depression, anxiety, and anger. He has worked with addicts struggling with pornography, affairs, lust, and all the other integrity issues for the last 20 years, as well as working on his own recovery journey. So... Hannah, you have a question. You're up for Doug. (laughs) Yes, I do. So, Doug, thank you for being here. And this question could be a little rudimentary, but, you know, we want to talk about sexual addiction and what it is and everything today. So I have to ask, what qualifies as a sex addiction? 
Um, like, is it somebody who just physically has to have sex at a certain frequency or can it involve pornography? Like, how would you unpack what that is? Wow, that's, that's a great question. And, and, and thank you guys for having me. Um, there's, a, there's a popular definition. And oh, by the way, I didn't get the sex talk either. Okay, so just, just <laughs> make sure that we're all on the same page there. Uh, and so, so we're, we're, all, we're all kind of getting the same message there. Um, so I think there's a popular definition um, for, for the definition of, of, of sex addiction, and it has to do with the fact that we, we don't really understand, um, you know, it's, it's, it's an escape from reality. That, that phrase was really coined by uh, Dr. Patrick Carnes, who is a, a, a big wig guru in our field, he really coined it first, and so as we as we learn about what we're doing, you know, we use a lot of things to escape from reality. There's work, there's alcohol, there's marijuana, there's cocaine, all the all the all the different types of drugs. Some people use running, some people use shopping, some people use food. We use a lot of different substances to escape reality, and so. If we apply that to, to sex addiction, then we can see how we are misusing our sexuality as a way of escaping what we're really seeking in a relationship, which is, is true intimacy. Right. Now, as we grow up, we don't realize that that's what we want, right? I mean, most of us learn about sex before we're ready. And so right. sex feels good. I mean, God created it that way, right? I mean, he, he, he said, this is what I'm giving to you as a gift, but he, he meant it for a certain period in our lives. And so as we learn about what feels good, you know, it's almost like um, whatever your favorite food is, chocolate cake, you know, peppermint candy, chocolate mm-hmm. ice cream, whatever it is, if we, if we engage in that, it feels really good to us. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. But... Suppose you eat it for two hours straight. All of a sudden, it, it doesn't feel as good. Hmm. It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't excite you as it used to. And so that's part of what this, this behavior does, is that we take, our, we take our appetite, going back to the quote, I thought that was a, <laughs> that was a really good quote too. Um, it's like we take what God gave us and we misuse it for our purpose almost to a point now to when we get into an addiction that we're using it and we don't even like it anymore. But right. we still do it because we created those habits and those attachments to whatever it is, whether it's uh, masturbation or it's an affair or it's pornography or online chat, um, inappropriate hookups, you know, like escorts and prostitutes and things like that. So that's a real broad, overused kind of definition of, of how I would define what a sex addiction is. Right. Now, there are lots of people who, who misuse their sex, their sexuality, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are, that they have an addiction, right? It's, it's the motivation behind it. Am I taking this, this gift that God gave us, am I taking that and using it for my purposes, for my pleasure, as a way of not dealing with the real world, for instance, intimacy or conflict or confrontation 
or, you know, problems at home, my family's of origin type of issues. Right. So, you know, I know that men are prime, you know, for so many years, it's been men who have been identified as people who have the tendency to have sexual addiction. But I know that that women have it as well. And I'd like to hear from your experience um, in speaking with um, your patients and clients over the years. What are some of the ages at what they're introduced to sexuality and how does that impact their uh, the health of their sexual lives later on? Oh, that's a great question. A lot of, and and, and you're you're so you're right about uh, women is the the up and coming group now, the females of of using pornography and and again misusing sexuality. A lot of us have been exposed to either movies on TV, movies in the theater, uh, the pop culture, uh, magazines. Um, or, or it could be as simple as our next-door neighbor. It could be our fathers or, or someone in our family that, that have, have, you know, a lot of guys have told me they, they find their father's stash or they go next door to the friend's house, you know, they're, they're five years old and they're playing with little Timmy and Timmy says, hey, you know, come in here and check this out. And so they go into some room and there's this, this stash of magazine somewhere. It's like, hey, let's start looking through these. Wow, that's that's a that's a real common way. Um, yeah. Neighbors down the street. Um, again, any kind of media that they stumbled into. When I was young, it was cable TV because there weren't any restrictions on cable TV. I mean, they have them now, but they didn't have them back then. And you could see through the through the snow. On yeah. The, the the channel, the cable channel, and so. Usually, everybody's different when it comes to the, the exposure. I mean, I was first exposed at five. A lot wow. of guys that come into my office tell me the same thing, you know, that we were exposed by an uncle. I went to see my uncle, you know, for a party or whatever, and he showed me Playboy. Or um, I've had several guys say, my, my father took me to a prostitute at 15 or 14. Oh, my gosh. You know, to learn about what being a man, right, because that's what we were taught to be, to learn about what being a man is really all about. But, I mean, exposure, it, it's, I, I've, I've heard of all the ages, but for most of us, not all of us, but for most of us, we learn about it really, really young. But, yeah. but we don't know, we don't have the mental capacity, our brains can't concretely say that's what this is. We know it's, it's it feels good, but right. we don't necessarily know what the word sex is. But we know that we're looking at something that, or, or feeling something or experiencing something that excites us. But it's also confusing because we don't really know what's happening. We don't know what's going on with our bodies. We don't go with, know what's going on with our brains. But, but those connections are starting to form and attachments are starting to form in our brain and our body. And if we don't have someone in our lives and this is where our fathers are supposed to step in, really. Mm -hmm. um, if we don't have someone in our lives to really start guiding us in what is, you know, we can go back to the sex talk, you know, question that you guys talked about at the very beginning. If we don't have someone in our lives to guide us and to say, hey, you know what little Timmy showed you? Here, let's, let's look in Scripture and see how does God design this for us? 
mm-hmm. and, and start really shepherding us and, and walking us through this process at an age-appropriate time. I mean, obviously, you know, you can't start talking about sexuality with a five-year-old, right? I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's the real. But, but it's being able to talk at age-appropriate levels. Right. Because everybody goes through puberty, and so at that time, even before that time, we need to start having those conversations with our kids. I mean, I did it with my oldest. I, I started him, um, he was 11, I think he was 10 or 11, and we started having this conversation. Hey, you know, I noticed you looking at girls, and what do you think about that? And, you know, here's some things that we need to talk about. <laughs> and so it's, it's a process, not a talk. So what well, do you think about, Doug? I'm curious because... You know, on the one hand, in culture, we're introduced, like you said, so young to sexuality. But then if we are Christians and we're growing up within a Christian culture, that purity element, I think Hannah has had more exposure to that than I have. But so on the one hand, we're introduced to sexuality at a very young age. And, you know, for me, I mean, to get really honest, I wasn't in pornography, but nobody was nobody was monitoring what I was reading. And so I was reading things like flowers in the attic. And that is something I didn't need to be reading at eight years old, but no, everybody just saw, Oh, she's reading this, you know, 400 page novel. Great. Well, you know, that's not a great story for a young person to read. And so we're exposed to it so young, but then when we go to go to church, it just seems like there's just this shame element in this purity culture. Hannah, you can speak to more of that. Yeah, no, that was, that was literally my next question was just, it seems like a toxic combination where, um, on the one hand, the world for a lack of a better word is more than eager to put sexuality in your face or tell you, you know, what feels good is what is right kind of thing. Or like you said, Doug, how to be a man or even how to be a woman. But then (laughs) on the other hand, the, the sphere where there's actually the ability to get truth or healing from the past is yeah, just, just kind of shameful. Like you don't talk about it because if you were to admit that something happened or you're even having thoughts that could be not pure, you would be outcasted. So I guess going off of that, um, in your experience, does the shame element make it harder for people to open up and recover when they do have a sex addiction? Uh, the, the short answer is yes. I mean, shame, shame is, is big because shame, shame is spoken into us. Shame is a top-down type of, of process that, that it starts with our parents, right? So... You know, going back to the garden, how did Adam and Eve know that they were naked, right? So there's this first element of shame. They clothed themselves. And so they, before that, they were naked and unashamed, and they were, they, it was, it was a, a grand, you know, place to be. But when they sinned, then, then they knew. Well, our parents have a tendency to say some of the, the, the things that, that really uh, start this, this shame inside of me, not, not that they're trying to. But they want to make us better people, right? And so, you know, not, <laughs> I was talking with a client this morning. Hey, have you ever heard the phrase, you better stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about? <laughs> right? Or, yes. or even something as simple as, you should be ashamed of yourself. 
you know, your, your room is messed up. So, you know, we told you five different times. You should be ashamed of yourself. You should clean that up. Or you knocked over the milk. You should be ashamed of yourself. You shouldn't be playing at the table. Right. So, so shoulds and oughts start really, really young. And so when we, now let's take that to church. Like, you know, you've heard the phrase, we shoot our wounded. Well, how, how can I have the confidence of going into my church and saying, you know what, I've, I've had these thoughts. Right. I've, I've, noticed, I've noticed girls, I've noticed boys, and I've, I've, I, it does something inside of me, and I don't, I don't know what to do about that. And, and the, part of the reason we can't do those things is because of that shame or even even hum, uh, humiliation, embarrassment. We're going to get laughed at because I'm not I'm not normal. Mm-hmm. And again, that that all comes from shame, meaning that I'm broken in some way, not broken as spiritual because we're all spiritually broken. But right. You I'm know, broken. I'm defective. Yeah. I think that shame really makes us feel isolated and alone, like we're the only person struggling. Um, Sometimes at church and churches I've attended in the past, you know, people will say something about their, we'll have a prayer book for our home group or something like that. And the prayers are so like superficial where they don't get into stuff like that. They don't get into they don't feel free to be able to express some of the struggles, which actually places more tension on the, on the addiction component. And so I would like to hear, you know, before we have just a few minutes before we have to go, but um, what are some of the methods that if, if a person is struggling with sexual addiction, whether they're male or female, um, what are some of the methods that, that you've seen to work to help people um, overcome this or manage it or have victory over it? Mm. Yes. Uh, one of the, one of the, the best things is to, to seek a, a therapist who is experienced in this field. Um, I've had a lot of, of clients come to me after they've, after they've been to a therapist who tried to fake their way through and it just caused more harm. And so it's, it's, it's not super special, but you, you have to know what you're doing in this area. So seeing a good therapist, a good qualified therapist, I think is number one, um, getting into a, a group of like-minded people. And I mean, like for guys to get into a guy's group and for, for women to get into a women's group, um, because there's safety in numbers, and we all need that accountability. You know, Psalm right. 133.1 says how good and pleasant it is when brothers come together in unity. It's a way of having accountability around, like you were talking about, the isolationism of shame. That, like, I can't talk about this anywhere, and it's not talked about a lot in our churches. Yeah. And, and we need to bring that out so that we, we get that, that isolation movement out of it. So therapy, groups, good groups that that really address the issue of, I want to grow, right? We can't just stop. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection, Hmm. intimacy. And we need to start looking at how intimate, and, and by the way, my definition of intimacy doesn't have sex in the definition there. It's 
It's the way that it's a process of how we interact together. It's not a a solution outcome that we achieve. Right. So that's just you know, Doug. That's just the, this is you know this resonates with some a theme that we keep keep hearing over and over and over again i hear it in my research with young adults we've heard it here on the show is that um as one young adult said i wish at church we could just break character and just you know because you go to church and you put a character on you put the character on of a person who has everything together they're not struggling they're got a smile on their face and then everybody kind of uh, comports to that image and getting in real honest groups like you're talking about sounds like a way for us to actually break that character and listen to what young adults are saying about how we do church. Right. And that's important. That's so important because we, in my world, I call it a mask. It's the same thing. It's breaking character. We, we need to take the masks off the I'm, I've got it all together mask, and I'm a good Christian mask, and I don't have any problems mask, and, oh, look at them. You know, they've got it all together mask. And so we, you're right. We have to break through that to get, we call it getting real. I right. need to get real. I need to be authentic. And I need to go to a place that's safe, a no-shame zone. I can say whatever I need to say, and then there's no condemnation. No one looks down and knows at me. No one starts throw in Bible verses my way or start stumping me with their King James version of, <laughs> of the Bible. It's, it's, that's all great stuff. But we need to be able to, to be real with each other and to get honest because this, most of these wounds go really, really deep. And if I go to a group and I hear one ounce of shame come my way, it's like, oh, I'm tapped out. I'm gone. I'm not, I'm not ever coming back. Yeah. And that's what keeps this so... Uh, in the dark and so isolated, and that's what causes those wounds to be so much deeper. Because now I go to my church, which should be a place of healing, and all I do is get shots taken at me. And that's, that's we got to stop that. That's right. just not right. Yeah. And so it's coming out of the dark into the light and saying, you know what, this is what I bring to church today. Is that okay? It's right. to be okay. Yeah, I mean... I think that that is one of the most important things that we can do and to, to be able to be honest about what we're struggling with, to have a group, um, to have a therapist or someone that can come alongside you and you can tell the truth to them about the things that you're struggling with. And it's not like you set off a Molotov cocktail or something in the room, you know, because sometimes I feel like I have felt like that where I'll come in and I'll share something from my past and it's like people can't believe that i actually just said what i just said right you know right. and the gas. they're right it's because people don't talk like that but right. um mr barnes thank you so much for uh joining us today and telling us a little bit about what you do um this is a huge topic i know that the, there are a lot of people out there struggling and if people want to connect with you where can they find you uh, I have a website, uh, simply DougBarnesCounseling.com. Uh, um, I have a, uh, a phone number that they can call, uh, 214-587-9631. And uh, that's my direct line. We can chat about what what help you're looking for and how I'll be able to uh, help you. I, I 
couples, I help partners, I help the addict or just anyone who's struggling with any any kind of uh, sexual integrity issue. Well, also, I just have to say that, you know, I recommend, I've known uh, Mr. Barnes, Doug, for a, a long time and can't recommend him highly enough. He will, uh, you know, help you and he will tell you like it is. So, Doug, thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been awesome. You've been listening to Christian Curious. Be sure to check out our website for more episodes and to learn more out, more about us. Reach out to us anytime with your comments or questions to Haley at ChristianCurious.co. That's H-A-L-E-E at ChristianCurious.co or Hannah at ChristianCurious.co. Stay curious. Thank you for listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley. You can contact her with your comments or questions about today's show at her email, drhaley at christiancurious.org. That's D-R-H-A-L-E-E at christiancurious.org. You may also learn more by visiting the Christian Curious website, christiancurious.org. Join Dr. Haley again next week for Christian Curious on AM 670 KLTT.